Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. I'm David Hilgen. Our guest today is David Edsey, Climate Director, Technical Underwriting for Zurich. We last spoke with David in November 2021, shortly after he had provided testimony at the House Select Committee on Climate Crisis hearing in Washington, D.C. A lot has happened since then, and the climate crisis persists. So this seems like a good time for an update on where we are with regard to climate resilience. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me back. It seems like a lot longer uh, than six months since we spoke last. Yeah, well, like I mentioned, a lot has happened, but we're going to address a few of those things here today. For instance, since we last spoke, Zurich has created the Office of Sustainability Underwriting. Uh, Mark Way leads that office. It's a three-person team, including Mark, yourself, and Jonathan Chirac. At the time of the announcement in December, Zurich said the office quote, will approach climate change as both a risk and an opportunity when it comes to establishing underwriting strategy and guidelines, engaging with our customers and working with sustainability partners. David, what progress has been made on that and what are the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead? As you mentioned, this team, the sustainability underwriting, it it just really came together uh, the first part of this year when Mark joined our organization. We are focusing on really the changing landscape of our customers in light of climate change. I mean, not only the the increased physical risks that they may face, but also the transition to a low carbon, you know, net zero economy. Since the digital transformation, it's going to be the biggest change that our economy has seen in quite a while. So what we're doing as a sustainable underwriting team with respect to climate is really, you know, asking the questions about the different customer segments. You know, how is their industry going to be different as a result of a warming climate and the transition? And as that industry changes, what is going to change as far as the risks that they face? Uh-huh. Will our current, you know, insurance products and services, you know, be fit for purpose in the future as a result of those change, that changing landscape? You know, what new services can we provide to yeah. them as they felt, face resiliency questions and as they transition? Um, so, you know, we've been, begun looking at our current suite of sustainable products and services. Um, you know, and we've got quite a few. We have a mass timber builder's risk policy that we developed specifically to address this new type of construction. Then we're engaging with our colleagues across all different business units to identify, you know, where there are gaps in our insurance products and services and, and what potential solutions can we provide. So again, we're really focusing on our customers and what are going to be their changing needs given these factors from climate change. Well, it sounds like our uh, this is the right time for it. Our, our customers are still very much aware of the issues around climate change, and that became evident when the World Economic Forum released its Global Risk Report 2022 in January. It turns out that climate concerns, we're talking extreme weather, climate action failure, biodiversity loss, and other climate concerns have totally dominated the report's global risks perception survey. Are you surprised by this? No, not at all. I mean, yeah, those were the top three that you named, extreme weather, climate action failure, and biodiversity loss, which are all interrelated. 
Um, but no, I'm not surprised at all. The UN emissions gap report that came out late last year mm-hmm. showed that new national climate pledges you know, by various countries combined with other mitigation measures put the world on track for a global temperature rise of 2.7 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. So that's well above the, the 1.5 to 2 degrees that we need to keep to keep the world as we know it. So climate action failure is definitely at the forefront of the minds of many business leaders right now. And you know, e- extreme weather is also not a surprise given the natural catastrophes occurring around the world. I mean, we've seen it in our own country. The last two years had the most billion dollar climate disasters ever. There were yeah. 20 in 2021 and 22 in 2020. I apologize for all those 20s. But in the 1980s, just to put it in context, the average was $2.9 billion climate catastrophes a year. So again, we're up to 20 and 22. And those 1980 numbers are adjusted for inflation, by the way. So again, I'm not surprised at all that climate change dominated the World Economic Forum report. Yeah, if we really do heat up like that, there won't be a Colorado River left at the turn of the century. Yeah, it's pretty scary. So talking about the report, this thing is 115 pages long. It's densely packed with materials. I have in the past read the whole thing. Uh, I doubt there are many people who look at this extensive PDF and and read the whole thing. Uh, Imagine you did or or most of it. What are your key takeaways from the WEF report? What, What do people who won't read the report need to know, especially as it pertains to climate change? Yeah, well, again, it discussed the top concerns of of business leaders and experts. And then it, as far as the climate change part of the report, um, which I really focused on, it talked a lot about what the transition to net zero is going to look like. Is it going to be orderly or disorderly? I should just take a step back. I mean, this net zero transition is what the climate scientists are telling us is that the world needs to get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 in order to keep global warming below two degrees Celsius. Yeah. So um, how is that transition going to take place? If it's going to be an orderly transition, we need to start transitioning away from fossil fuels. Policies need to be put in place to incentivize that to happen. You know, things like tax on carbon. You know, also addressing the industries or the workers that may be out of work. In the fossil fuel industry, though, you know, we need to train those workers. Um, Also addressing things like developing countries. Most of the historical carbon that's been emitted into the atmosphere has come from developed countries. Um, But these developing countries are paying the price. So the developed countries need to basically provide resources and financial capital to those developing countries to not only transition, but for those developing countries to start out their energy systems on renewable systems. Yeah. This report, I, what I get, got from it is that the ship has already sailed on an orderly transition. We needed to have started taking more decisive action decades ago. Fortunately, it's looking like the transition may be disorderly, um, yeah. which which is unfortunate. Yeah, that can be problematic. So I want to switch gears. I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, which has proposed a new rule that, if adopted, would require public companies 
to provide detailed reporting of their climate related risks, emissions and net zero transition plans. Why is the SEC doing this? It's driven largely by what we see as ESG investing or sometimes called impact investing. Mm -hmm. It's really investors increasing to desire to want to support companies that not only will be profitable, but also will be making a positive impact either on on their employees, on their communities, and in the case of climate upon the world. Um, So it's really, it's driven by investor demand to invest in climate positive companies and the need for transparency and consistent reporting taxonomies for climate related disclosures. It's really so investors, when they look at companies, they can be comparing apples to apples Mm -hmm. and not apples to oranges. So investors now are, they don't just want to make a profit. They still want to make a profit, but they want to know that they're investing in something and doing something good the world. Right. There's no reason that public companies can't do both, can't have a positive impact on the world. And when it comes to climate, have a positive climate impact and lower their greenhouse gas emissions, but at the same time, make a profit. Yeah, sure. So if the rules adopted, what will it mean for publicly traded companies, especially those that are not currently reporting these numbers? It means that starting in 2024, public companies will need to disclose first the financial impact that climate change and the transition will have on their balance sheet. And then secondly, their greenhouse gas emissions from their own operations, which are commonly referred to as scope one and two emissions, and also their scope three emissions, which is their upstream and downstream emissions. And initially, they'll only need to disclose those scope three if they are material or if the company has set targets for scope three. It sounds like there's a whole new market for a consulting service to help these companies do this reporting. It does, and that's certainly going to develop. I mean, it really already has because a lot of public companies are already measuring these things and voluntarily disclosing them. I think I saw some statistics recently, like the number of S&P 500 companies publishing sustainability reports, it increased from 20% in 2011 to 90% in 2019. So a lot of these larger public companies are already doing it. Yeah. So I want to talk about a ResCon in New Orleans. In April, you uh, led a panel discussion at ResCon, that's the annual conference on the practice of resilience and disaster management. Uh, During the discussion, you highlighted three ways to make communities more resilient to climate change. Can you discuss what they are and kind of what role insurance can play? Yeah, I'm not sure if it was only three ways or where the three ways came from, but I will talk about some of the things we discussed. I think first, David, it was the recognition of the insurance gap. Sure. And, you know, of the 145 billion in natural disasters in the U.S. in 2021, only 85 billion or almost 60 percent were uninsured. So that's quite a big gap. So there needs to be a recognition that insurance alone is not going to be an adequate buffer to the physical effects of climate change. But society really needs to focus on increasing the resiliency of our communities. Through our own studies, we found at Zurich that every dollar spent on resiliency results in a $5 savings following a disaster. So really investing in the resiliency up front, along with insurance, needs to be put into place. So along those lines, you know, 
Secondly, the development of modern and effective bu building codes, especially in vulnerable areas, are really key to addressing resiliency. The Florida Building Code is really a great example. Um, it's one of the most stringent in the country, and it's reduced windstorm losses up to 72 percent. Okay. Another mechanism really for resiliency is sound land use planning, which is really more important than ever. I mean, choosing where to develop, but also ensuring that our infrastructure is suited to the world of tomorrow. Storm or rainwater drainage systems are really key. I mean, we, we saw what happened in Houston a few years ago, you know, but also, you know, urban design that lessens the reliance on those drainage systems, you know, things like green roofs, urban green spaces, permeable pavement, all those things will lessen the amount of water that goes into these drainage systems and decreasing the risk of flood loss. Interesting. The last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, I know you've been leading a Zurich employee climate interest group since uh, last year. Did, tell us what the group does and what you hope to accomplish. What have you found out? Yeah, what we do is we meet quarterly and we're focusing really on four areas. Um, we're looking at climate change science and the politics, what social policies have been put into place to address climate change. Secondly, we're looking at what Zurich is doing as far as its climate commitments, both in its operations, its an investment portfolio. And then we're looking at what can we do in our own personal lives or in our households to address climate change, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And then last, we're concentrating on Zurich's underwriting. What are we doing with our products and our services yeah. to help our customers respond to climate change? Since we started the group about a year ago, I'm really pleased with the positive reaction. I think, you know, it's really what we're hoping to accomplish is really just, you know, the sharing of information and giving the members a forum really to share their ideas and thoughts and even feelings. I mean, yeah. you know, climate change anxiety is a real thing. Uh, sure. I know I've lost sleep over it. What have I found out from forming this group? I think what I found out is there's a lot going on in the space and there's a lot of people who care about it. Yeah. And so I'm really pleased again with the reaction I've gotten to it. It's been great. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of passion around this topic throughout the organization. And thank you for your involvement in the group, David. No, it's great. This is uh, the only group that would have me, frankly. So. <laughs> Well, David, I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks for having me, David. I enjoyed it. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning into this Future of Risk podcast. I'm David Hogan. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee 
guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.